0: Right, Ollie's just sorted his hair out. Um, right, yeah, let's get cracking. Uh, so, hello everyone, and uh, welcome to the second proper episode of the Bird Boys Culture Podcast with me Jed Dwight and me Oliver Woodall. Thanks so much for joining us again. We really hope you've enjoyed it so far. Thank you for all of your uh, lovely messages and uh for your Q&A questions um and just for saying hi when you've seen us at, at shows and, and whatnot um yeah so let's let's get cracking shall we so Ollie what have you been up to that's been poultry related over the past couple of weeks? Um so
1: obviously I was with you um what was it two weeks ago at the Cornish Federation which was an amazing show since then I've just been back on the island organizing my own breeding pens last weekend i was quite excited about putting together two of my norfolk gray bantam breeding pens which isn't something i normally give up as much space to um and then this morning um i went up to one of the other local fanciers on the island and went through his cool ducks because he very much relies on my expertise i don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so um yeah no i had a really nice morning just sorting through all of his cool ducks um and then went on to putting together a couple of groups of toulouse breeding uh, pens which was um, really nice and a nice little opportunity to have a catch-up and a good old um chat about all things birds what about
0: you uh, so um, I guess the, the most poultry related thing I've done uh, was I was over on the island, a different island, um, uh, with my nephew Charlie last weekend. And just for Christmas, Charlie was really kindly gifted some uh, a tree of large like Sussex. And I wanted to make sure that they are put to good use. He already had some... Uh, I think he probably already had about 10 large, like Sussex, to be fair. Um, but it's just making sure that, that he has the best breeding birds that, that he can have. So, uh, And it's been so wet recently, as as I think it's been across the whole of the the UK. Mm. And so birds just aren't really getting on and, and doing what they need to do. If they're out and about and free ranging like, like Charlie's are. So uh, his dad, Sean, sure, my brother-in-law, had put uh, a couple of pens together in a dry area so they can get cracking. So we put uh, his breeding pens together. One is this new cockerel together with two older hens that he has, uh, just to try and make sure we get something out of them before they're too old. And then there's a couple of uh, hens that are a bit younger that just need to be brought into condition, really. Um, So they'll be kind of getting ready, or hopefully we get some eggs and chicks out of the older birds, and then we'll swap the cockerel over and try and get some uh chicks out of uh the other group so, so that was good he was really excited we we're literally zooming around the farm on this little i can't remember what what it was called now some um
1: like little uh,
0: yeah that kind of thing it was a john Deere something or other and uh, my nephew charlie is what nine years old i think But really good at at all of that kind of stuff. I was literally zooming around the farm. Um, uh, So it was was just really good fun, actually. Good to be out and about and um, yeah, down on the farm. So that was good. Uh, Other than that, obviously, just putting Fancy File together like normal. We'll chat more about that um, in the next episode. Um, But yeah, I think we've got another good issue uh, combining fancies from here in the UK, over in the USA, and in Australia too as well as some show reports and results and stuff so that's shaping up to be a good one yeah um so yeah so that's kind of what what i've been up to um we've obviously had news some some really positive news recently uh one was that shows are, are now returning uh for chickens in wales and indeed uh, people in uh, Wales are now able to show importantly in, in shows across the UK. I think, didn't you say Devon Fanciers have some? Yes, yeah,
1: so they put a really nice post up on their Facebook page the other day to say that they had extended um, their entries to 5 pm Monday the 19th, um, which I think is a really nice. Um, a nice thing for the club to do to give the opportunity to those coming from Wales, um, a chance to get into some shows quite, quite soon. Um, so yeah. And
0: that, so for anyone listening, the 19th is, we're recording this on uh, Sunday afternoon and 19th is uh, uh 19th of February. So yeah. evening of Monday, the 19th of Feb. Um, so please do, I, I think one of the reasons they do that is they actually get some fancies cross, cross round and then drive down to devon from wales for that certainly they've had judges and stuff um from wales before so um yeah hopefully some of you guys will make the most of that um we also have the news wedding bantam show so they have an, an open classic show normally at the end of february uh they have announced their dates for february 2025 so 23rd 24th of february 2025 will be the Reading Bantam Open show. So it's really exciting. It's a favorite of mine. I know all of you, you're normally it. Yeah, yeah, really nice. Really we're nice. Normally, well over a thousand entries at that, uh, which is great. And then the Federation show uh, held up at Stafford. They've announced their dates, confirmed their dates for the 21st, 22nd of September 2024. So we're pretty much getting back to where we have been um, come the end of this year, as long as everything goes as, as it should and hopefully will. where well, we have Federation shows going to be in September, the national show is going to be October, uh, and we'll have a Reading Bantam show at the end of February. So two big national shows have shifted forward a bit, but we're still going to have them. Uh, and again, you know, uh, it'd be great to see see them happening, people supporting them. Um so yeah, so anything particular that you'd like to start uh, start the talk with? Really, um, I've got we've got a couple of things down on the list.
1: Yeah, um, I think it'd be really nice to start off with the uh, with our experience at the Cornish Cornish the Cornish iteration.
0: <laughs> Spit it out! Haven't had a drink yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean hats off. Uh, I know it's really nice. I know that some of the Cornish uh, folks listen to this podcast and, you know, absolutely hats off to them for not just putting on a show, combining as clubs to deliver a really exceptional event. Um, The uh, layout was brilliant. So you had single tier penning, which I think makes actually a huge difference to be able to see Bird's... um, uh, through the wire and making sure the lighting is good etc uh really friendly you know we were literally rushing uh having recorded the last episode of this um to get there and you know the beaming smiles uh, as you'd always expect from that team of people uh was really wonderful and just everyone's so happy to be back um and to be doing what they love uh showing poultry chatting about chickens uh, was really good to see now of course you judged the tree bantams other than the pekins and japs ollie and you also judged the trio so so uh, how did you find that your first proper judging experience in the uk as well
1: yes um yes first official judging appointment which god, um, god knows why they let you it. no idea well they obviously saw uh, me and you and thought well one of them knows what they're talking about and that wasn't you yeah me (laughs) um um, no it was really nice um felt so welcomed by everyone involved um and as you said you know beaming smiles all around um the birds on a whole you know turned out really nicely um and i I just thought it was a nice experience to see um such a good entry at this time of the year because it's not always a great time of the time of the year for people to be showing. You know, this time of year people are very much um gearing up to be putting their breeding pens together. Yeah, so that's what, uh, what we talking about. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um maybe um, you know, sorting out the uh excess potential leftover birds that would be uh um, under normal circumstances being taken to sales and things like that which obviously aren't happening quite at the moment um but no so um as you said i did the trues except the uh the pekings and the japs which was a bit of a shame being that i am known for my japs so i was looking forward to judging the japs originally but you did get I to judge the Belgians though,
0: which uh, you know, were, were an impressive. I
1: did, which typically are normally rather a strong class and quite a competitive breed. Um so I was uh maybe a little bit nervous initially, judging those, because I know what some uh some of the fancies can be like with that breed. Um me with you. Wow, well, you know, I needed to keep an eye on you. Uh, um but no, it was really nice. So, um, strong classes, um, quails, uh, really good class. Um, I ended up, um, putting up a quail, uh, D'Anver for, uh, best Belgium, um, which then in my sort of section of trues, I then took further to, um, potentially be best true, which was then up against, um, Caroline's, um, black peaking, and a white Japanese bantam.
0: Yeah, so you just um, Caroline Hadley had judged the rest of the tree, the, the other two, uh, sections, tree bantams, jacks, and peakins. They weren't hers. She judged them, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, um, and then after um, a discussion o- over the three birds, we then uh, decided to go with the white Japanese, which I think was a very worthy winner um just a shame it didn't go a little that little bit further um it just wasn't quite fit in the face and was a little bit um a little bit sappy in the feather um Mm -hmm. other than that really really worthy winner um and then trio wise i thought four trios which is something that you don't always see in abundance at shows there was a great entry um i went with a lovely trio of large cuckoo morans um which i just thought turned out to perfection. Um and for a large cuckoo um variety, they were so well marked, so well marked and um like what you would want in a trio for them to be um as equal to each other they, they were. Um, so um yeah I was quite pleased to see them up on champ row.
0: Yeah I'm oh, just, just saying when when you're judging trios, um not only judging the quality of the birds in front of you but also you want the two females to be as matching as possible. So you kind of want the cockle to be, or or Drake or whatever, to be exceptional. Um, And then you want the two pullets to be as good as possible, but matching is really important. Um, And sometimes you can have like a really good pair, but then the other pullet isn't as good and kind of lets the side down. Um, And definitely with that trio of cookie morans, the two females matched perfectly. Yeah. um and and you had a really good cockle in there too um so yeah
1: yeah no i think uh yeah i think they uh they really were worthy of their win so uh on to you you uh you did the rares and um the large game cloud didn't you
0: yeah so large hard feather and some juvenile classes as well um so in the rare breeds uh, lovely andalusian large andalusian female um, up against uh, a crying cop uh, bantam male uh, as kind of two winners from classes that I was looking at for best rare breed. And the crying cop actually was a ma- in, in immaculate feather, but just didn't have the body to him, uh, whether he'd been overshown or, or you know, probably just ready for a rest and, uh, and pale in the face. Whereas the female Andalusian didn't quite have the... Quality of feather, but was a really good example of the breed. Felt really good in the hand. Was was fit and ready to go. And so I went with her for, for best rare breed. And then in the hard feather, large hard feather section, one of my favourite things from that show was that you had such quality of Indian game, a Cornish game for those of you over in the states. And um, yes, yeah, so it was just so nice to see a really good class of particularly large. Indian game females you had a lovely trio of large uh jubilee Indian game which is pretty unusual to see and, and yeah, they pretty, see those pretty good examples um and then we had some really good Oxfords and uh I uh, my granddad lived over the road from a really quite famous old in, oxford old english game breeder called dr jones and we used to look after those birds when dr jones went on holiday so when i was younger i kind of saw really good examples of oxford game without really realizing it uh, from from quite a young age and then we had really good breeders of oxford game over on on the isle of wight where i started showing and so again saw them pretty regularly got to know uh, not only what you're looking for, but how, how you judge them, you judge them differently uh, to other breeds in terms of how, how you handle them, make sure they balance in the hand and all that kind of jazz. Um, and yeah, there were some really nice birds forwards. They had uh, they were plenty lively enough, definitely in in the females. And the cockles have plenty of spirit. And basically what you want is you want them to balance in the hand, but when you chuck them back, you want them to whip back round and kind of, face up to you um and certainly that's what the winner of, of the class did a really stylish mm, yes. just lacked a tiny bit of condition in the tail to, to go any further um, but but a, a good sort all the same um so that was my choice and then obviously we got to championship row and uh you ollie had put a trio of large cooking morans up i'd put a cooking moran uh, up uh, as best utility and then simon harvey who had judged the uh large soft feather heavy section um probably the large soft section overall had put up a large cookie moran female for champion large soft feather heavy and pretty much we were all in agreement straight away that that bird should then be overall show champion which was really nice not only because you just don't see that happen all that often um, with that breed uh, going up to that accolade. And Robin James, who had bred that bird, was showing that bird, has been breeding and showing large kicking marans for decades. That was his first ever overall show champion with a, with a moran, So that was a really kind of just nice moment and so well-deserved. Um, and then we're looking around for the reserve champion and uh, decided on the end um, uh, to go with a well summer Bantam pullet. The only thing that could have been said about her is that she could have been a bit more active in the pen. But again, she was a really good example of the breed and shown by a lovely gentleman called Peter Thomas, who, again, has been breeding well summers for decades i think i think he said 50 odd years he's been breeding well summers and because of his um age and his health he decided that was going to be the last show that he was going to be showing at so to walk away uh with a show champion uh, in cornwall where he comes from i think was was really nice and again totally deserved That win as well so so yeah it was it was great it was really nice great to be back with everyone we went and had a a lovely roast dinner for lunch and again just you know sitting at the table with a load of fanciers chewing over uh, stories about chickens was pretty nice so yeah that was good um so yeah hats off like I say to to everyone that that took part um and brought that show together it was it was really nice and I think we're going to see Many more of those um, hopefully over the next year and and going forward too. Um, A couple of other things that I had uh, down here. So one of the things that really became clear to me being at that show and obviously you're kind of looking at people's birds and, and what have you, look at virtual shows, is how important it is actually being at a live show and comparing your birds to other people's birds because you can be at home Thinking, you know, reading the standard, looking at people's photos of, of birds uh, similar to your own, thinking, you probably, you know, you've got really great birds and, and they're going to win everything when you finally get into a show. Then you get to a show and put them up against others and it very quickly dawns on you that either they're not as good as you thought they were or uh, they're on par with everyone else's, but they're not miles ahead. I think that that's what does that sound familiar, Jed. No, it doesn't sound familiar to me because, you know, I absolutely know uh, what I'm looking at and judging. And if I think I'm going to win, that no- normally means it. So I'm joking. Um, I, I <laughs> really remember being at an auction, uh, Salisbury auction, and um, buying some birds, thinking they were so much better than the birds I had at home, blah, blah, blah. You know, spent a fortune on them, got them back and actually thought, you know what, they're no better than what I've already got. In fact, they might be a bit worse. Um, and I, I always used to, it used to kind of amaze me that you really, sh- you know, and I'd literally been at home with with my own birds that morning. Um, how, how you kind of get, get into that um, weird sense, you know, frame of mind where you forget a bit of reality. And because mm. you're only comparing those birds against probably lesser birds in an auction or a sale or whatever, you literally think they are the best things ever when actually they're not so it was just kind of the importance of shows to us and not just as an opportunity to all get together and have an actor and that social side but also making sure that our breeds are kept up to scratch and if you're not up against the best breeders there's a chance you won't be aiming as high as as you could be and so I thought that was that was interesting and important and Ollie finds out all the time, because normally he's just up against, you know, his own birds in Jersey, which is why he wins all the time. Um, uh, and actually coming over here and be up against, uh, you know, top class breeds over in the rest of the UK. Uh, I'm sure you'd be bottom of the pile, Ollie. Isn't, isn't that right? Isn't that true? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm
1: rather offended.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah. But um, but I say that i mean people in Northern Ireland uh, when they come over and us absolutely whip our asses and, you know, really do do well um, uh, in more ways than one. So, um, yeah. So I just thought that was something worth probably mentioning. Um, and that then brings me on uh, to the importance of local clubs. So, Ollie, you obviously have uh, your jersey. What's the name of your jersey club? The Jersey Poultry and
1: Ornithological Society. Such a great name. Rather a mouthful, nothing that you're unfamiliar
0: (laughs) (laughs) with. Yes. Um, (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, I, I, over on the Isle of Wight, the first club I joined was called Carisbrook Fancy is. Then I uh, joined the Isle of Wight Poultry Club. And... I think local clubs are really important, not just for putting on shows, but actually through the winter months when you might not be having shows at a local level, they often have kind of um, evening meetings once a month. And that's a great opportunity to have kind of people in to do talks and, and just to get together and, and chat about what's going on with your birds and to learn. And I think actually for new people coming in, it's it's a really good way of, of uh, engaging in our hobby And I say it because I noticed that the Surrey Poultry Society did a talk uh, either earlier this month or last month on Brahmas. And yeah, it just reminded me, you know, you don't see that side of it sometimes on on social media or through our magazines or whatever, but they are a really important part of of our clubs. Local clubs, breed clubs are really important to the survival of our hobby. Um, And uh, yeah. I thought that was worth a mention I think
1: also as well at um at bigger shows I I I think a lot of people don't quite find the opportunity to have a proper conversation with exhibitors because they're so busy you know rushing around getting birds into pens and then between each section of judging you know people then want to get back in there and make sure their bird has been you know smartened up before then potentially being moved up to champro or what have you um and then before you know it, everyone's fleeing the building going off for lunch and then it's back again feeding water then getting ready for dinner or boxing up and going home so i think these smaller little gatherings that the smaller clubs do do like you say um once month gatherings in the evenings is a great opportunity for particularly uh people that are wanting to start out from scratch um it's a nice little window for them to get get into it.
0: Yeah. And I also think um, one of the things I did think about with the Cornish Bantam uh, show is it just went so quickly. Like, there isn't no way too quickly. Yeah. No we didn't have a chance to talk to anyone properly, really. No. And I find this at the big shows in particular, you know, it takes me an hour to get from one side of the hall at the national um to the other and it's great because obviously you're chatting with loads of people Um, but I remember when I used to take photos at at that show um I always used to like try and be a bit undercover um to try and make sure I got the photos I needed and I really wanted to get a photo of that quail uh Danver at um the Cornish show I barely got any photos of any of the championship row um time just goes so quickly and it's kind of a nice thing you know time goes fast when you're having fun um uh, as the saying goes but um yeah and that's why i love a two-day show actually uh, just because you yeah. have that you have a bit more time um so it'll be nice to have two-day shows uh again when we get get around to the end of the year um cool okay so one thing i thought we would uh do again so everyone seems to really enjoy the kind of uh looking over birds from the virtual poultry show last time chatting about them uh, the intricacies and ins and outs um so what i've done this time is done a similar thing pulled uh, a gallery of photos together this time from the ohio national show that i went to back in november um ollie hasn't seen them so uh god knows what what he's gonna say um (laughs) And I thought it was an opportunity also to talk about the differences between some of the birds over there compared to over here uh, Mm -hmm. and the show scene in general. I know we have um, some listeners over in the States. So uh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying it uh, as much as the folks over here. Um, We also have some listeners over in Australia. So I'll let to do similar for for some of the birds over there because we have some excellent show reports in, in Fancy Fowl. Thanks to uh, Melissa and, and some other people over there. Um, so, yeah, so let me uh, see if I can share that. Let's do that. And then we'll start chatting through them. Again, same as last time, we'll uh, chat through uh, and upload this onto Facebook, too, so that you can see the birds we're talking about. Um, so when I went over to Columbus in Ohio, I got a message from various people that um, Indian game breeders over here, uh, including Ben Reed, um, saying please, please, please get some photos of uh, the Cornish game, uh, particularly the bantams, while you're over there. Now, this female didn't win uh, the class; I think she was second in a really big class. But I just thought had real style about her. Uh, that top line, um, their heads are, are much stronger. They're they're kind of going towards parrot beet as Mm -hmm. we call it over here Uh, potentially a bit too strong for our taste Um, but over there this is how they like them and I can see why you know great bone to her uh, really well marked could be a tiny bit better marked in in those secondary feathers but overall really nice Um, when I was chatting to Ben Reed down in Cornwall we're talking about the kind of bubbly eyes uh, which is really common in in indian game because they have such large eye sockets as as you can see um and it's definitely nothing to do with their health or well-being or whatever it's it's just uh something that that they have very regular every single bird uh of this breed had it over there and it's the same um in the uk really and if you just wipe it away normally they're fine um bs yeah, so this was a really nice bed I, I can see why people keep them actually and i can see why people keep them over here too i think they really are you know there's just something really nice about them and they're pretty tame as well aren't they P- pretty placid
1: yeah they're quite chilled out
0: yeah uh so yeah so that was a, a nice one um so this was a large and do you know what you wouldn't even think it looking at it in this photo um, but this is a large brown-red modern game uh, pillar over in Columbus. And I, I always think the large fowl are a work in progress, even though they've been around a long time. Large fowl are, are, are a work in progress when it comes to modern game. The focus is always on the bantams here in the UK and over in the States. But this is probably one of the nicest examples that i've seen and just you know we always talk about modern game being this showy uh classic bear that you'd see at an exhibition whether it was a 100 years ago or yesterday and this female i think just shows it so elegant like such yeah. style to her uh feather quality you know feather perfect and all the rest of it um great proportions uh beautiful gypsy face to her which which also you want to see um in this breed really well marked um yeah a a really good example You kind of you just love to see this at at a show uh, back in the UK and there are some good breeders doing some great work and every now and then you'll you'll see uh, a decent one but um yeah I kind of just look at that and kind of go ah lovely the tempt (laughs) yeah i would be tempted i think i'd be tempted by that one um so this bed was champion waterfowl overall which was a huge accolade at at that show there were so many entries Uh, and this is a peaking duck um over in the states um i spoke briefly about um the the breeder of of this one uh he's featured in fancy fowl Uh, the the last month issue Alexandra Wisniewski and um, it kind of brings a bit of debate because in the UK this would not be a show bird, uh, be a utility bird um, uh, because we only have the German style Pekin ducks over here uh, for showing purposes Um, but actually you can see why they show these birds in, in the States they are huge bodied birds very strong heads Almost like a white Saxony in a way, you know, really long bodied, strong bodied birds. And um yeah, I I picked this out purely because it's so different to, to the German Pekins uh, that, that we're used to seeing over over here, but they are very popular over in the States and um yeah, good good to see something a bit different winning as well. Uh muskery, you can see there's a Muscovy drape behind muscovies actually do really well over in in the states um particularly in the heavy duck section um and ruins as well similarly do do very well um uh, and they're both there and they're both both those breeds are there in big numbers and there are quality birds uh up but yeah like i say good to see this one forward And that really quite interesting actually because as you say the uh, states
1: are so well known for their heavy ducks particularly muscovies mm-hmm. um, can you remember if the the, the peking class was a, a big class was it a strong class
0: yeah 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 it was yeah yeah they're competitive they are competitive
1: yeah. oh, okay more
0: more competitive than say Saxony's. actually Saxonies are kind of almost a breed that's still being very much worked on over there
1: yeah i have spoken particularly um when we were doing some of the first virtual shows we had some um some people wanting to enter um some photographs from the states mm. and um i just i got chatting to a few people being a, um, a saxony breeder um and uh yeah totally totally different to ours and a few of them have actually said that they're few and far between over there uh, yeah that's not think that's
0: uh often seen um
1: yeah, oh, yeah, I quite like that, Jake.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was more taken by them than I thought actually, because I'd almost been kind of a bit snobby, classic person from England. You know, you go over to the states, and you know, oh, hi, I'm Jed. I'm from I'm from Surrey in England. Blah blah blah. And um, uh, and uh, and to us, generally, peaking ducks of this kind are are your commercial white ducks. That's how you view them. Yeah, it. I
1: was going to say some of the first ducks that I had were commercial Pekings, and they are humongous birds. They really yeah. are. Um, and as you say, quite similar in uh, stature to uh, a good Saxony.
0: Um, yeah. But, anyway, um, you know, it's a good bird. Um uh, so a uh, Poland. So we actually had a, a Poland in our last series of doing this, but this was yep. over in the States again, Um up on championship row had won a very big section to, to win best of breed. And you can see the feather quality and sheen on this pillar and um beautiful crest. Uh It's interesting that the crests aren't quite so tight on, on the uh, Poland's over in the States and the males actually have, much more kind of flowing crest to them quite different uh, to what we have here in, in the UK. Um, but nevertheless, you, you can see easily similarities between them and uh, yeah, congratulations to Johnny um, for for who bred and exhibited this bird and it's just so passionate, you know, he's a young guy um, and really passionate about the birds. He has an excellent Instagram. I'm going to look it up actually. So people can take a look. He has an excellent Instagram page, which is all about Poland, which is called uh, Crested underscore chicken. So go and follow him on Instagram. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just a really good, good example, I think. Um, And I see it was really nice to chat to him. I think I'm going to be doing an interview with him for Fancy Fowl as well, which will be really nice. So look forward to that. Uh on to the next one. Uh a black coaching. So coachings over here I find can really vary. Um, but this female, uh, and I again I took this before um all the judging had been done, actually. Um, so I don't think she had a prize card on her at, at this point. Um, but she did end up doing really well in the end. Um but you can just see the feather quality and the width across her and particularly her head. I think her head is a mm. favorite thing about her for me, the width of that skull, the the brow that she has you can see she's got a really tidy head. Um, and then the cushion as well. You know, when you're talking about Peacons and the cushion kind of being tight behind, not um, stiff feathers, so that tails goes up uh, this female shows exactly what what you're looking for and great fittings as well anything to add yeah, on? she's
1: got um <laughs> she's got um she's got beautiful feather condition um and as you say you know the head on her um it's just it's just striking quite often i find you know with these big heavy breeds if if they haven't got that nice thick skull on them they, it just doesn't give off that same you know big bulky appearance that you would want a big bird like this and yeah. she's just she's just full of it and uh, yeah as you say
0: you know her uh, cushion to her tail is um lovely um and can imagine she's got loads of sass can't you i kind of look at that bird and think yeah she, she's probably <laughs> a sassy queen a Bit like yeah she just
1: <laughs> she just reminds me of you know i could just uh, i i love coachings co- anyway and i always sort of imagine coachings being this sort of like lovely docile breed that would sort of wander around a little orchard um and you know if she was at my orchard i'd be a very happy man
0: Uh yeah yeah i think i think anyone would be um right uh so you've got a little uh pastel Cool Drake or apricot cool Drake, if you're in the UK um, and I looked uh, pretty in a pretty detailed way through the cool duck, um classes as you'd expect while I was over there and you know I was absolutely honest with the breeders that I met that I think in some areas our cool Ducks have actually overtaken them And 20 years ago, you absolutely wouldn't have said that because the uh, ducks in the States were at their absolute high. Um, There was a real issue with kind of down birds, uh, particularly in the whites. Um, uh, But there were also some birds that really stood out, and there's always exceptions to the rule. This little uh, apricot pastel cauldrake, uh, you know, short, deep, cobby, lovely head, lovely short bill, really nice colour, uh, bred by Art Lingren. And uh, for someone like me who's read a lot of called up books uh, and followed um, called up showing in the States for a long time now, uh, Art, uh, who comes from New York, I think I'm right in saying, is just one of those breeders um, uh, who epitomizes, you know, turns out year after year, decade after decade such great examples of of their breed in this case cool ducks and it's kind of i i I don't really get fangirly over anyone um in in anything anymore because i'm old but um i have to say Mm -hmm. knowing that art was showing at that show and still turning out amazing birds like this um you know absolute credit to him and yeah, I was in awe. I kind of think, you know, he's been in it a long, long time. It's very easy to lose your way um, mm-hmm. after a time. And, and he's not done that. This is a, a superb example of the breed that, that he keeps. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to do a, a feature with him at some point as well, which which I probably would be a bit fangirly about um, because yeah, he's kind of one of those kind of classic breeders. I think this is a great
1: example of uh, the cool decks over there that you've chosen. Um, I mean, the first thing that I look at is just the clarity in the color
0: is just. Partly that's just a really good photo as well on me.
1: Well, of course. (laughs) Um, I mean, I probably would go as far as saying, you know, color perfect, you know, there's just nothing. Oh, he's
0: got a tiny bit of chain mailing on the breast, but that's all. Yeah. But, you know, how many of them don't that's free. yeah um
1: if i was going to criticize him for me i would just maybe want a bit more head i feel like in balance to his body he just lacks a bit more head um otherwise i think beautiful bird lovely and cobby small yeah Uh, and i think you know uh, a pretty good beak set on it as well compared to a lot of what you're seeing these days that are just so down build because yeah. you know people are so focused on these short broad bills from small birds and it's just it's creating further issues um and
0: also i think when it certainly in my experience i think if you go down that road you'll have issues with kind of hatchability as well um yeah. The long term, yeah. if, if you want to uh, focus on the long term vibrancy of, of your flock of cool of ducks, then the angle of the bill coming straight out from the head, not not facing downwards uh, is is super important. So yeah, I, honestly, I look at that bird and I'm, I'm just, I love apricot as a colour. Um, he's got a really nice pale blue head as well. And in some of them they have yeah. dark, particularly over yeah. here, actually, we, we have quite kind of dark heads go verging towards a blue fawn rather than an apricot yeah um so uh so yes that's nice so there you go right cool they were the only birds um that i picked out for that but hopefully people will find that interesting like i say take a look on facebook and you can see the birds that we are talking about um anything else ollie that that you want to mention before we go on to the q a this time Um, I just wanted to touch up a little bit more
1: on um, you speaking about Charlie and his chickens a little bit more. I think it would be uh, really nice just to hear a little bit more about a young fancier and how he got started in chickens and the breed that he's ended up with.
0: Yeah, so uh, I had large light Sussex, they were the first pure breed that I had. I think I mentioned last time on on the last podcast, um, that I you know, opened a school book at primary school and said, I want some of those. Uh, Went to Salisbury auction, got some terrible ones and then eventually ended up with much better ones over time. Um, Charlie had some laying hens. He's kind of always had laying hens. Again, actually via his granddad, not my dad, uh, his other granddad, Um, uh, for eggs and he sold eggs and and what have you. And then um, decided he wanted some light Sussex for whatever reason I totally actually wasn't the inspiration for that Um, independently decided he wanted some light Sussex and so I think my mum sorted him out uh, to make sure he got some and it's the one thing I love about both of my nephews actually they really are uh, basically my my older sister and my brother-in-law Sean and, and the two boys are growing up where I grew up. They they took over the farm from mum and dad um, and so they're having the life that I grew up with which is so nice and they're both really into animals so my nephew Alfie uh, has got his you know small flock of um, blue texels sheep and, uh, and then Charlie's got his light Sussex and they're both properly into it. They deal with the birds completely on their own <laughs> and and Alfie deals with the sheep uh, pretty independently with it, just a little bit of help from Sean. And that's what I think the future, not just of the poultry hobby, um, but of livestock farming, agriculture, being out and about in the countryside is all about. It's about passing on skills to the next generation, but they have to want to do it. And don't get me wrong, they love yes. being in front of their computer or in front of their phone or whatever as well um but they do really cherish their time outside and and that commitment is important and I ranted about it last time but we don't have enough kids that are genuinely passionate about a hobby versus just being on their phone or or being online um so yeah so it's good um you know and the minute that he's not interested those birds will go because you know my sister isn't interested Sean's not that interested in the same way that my mum and dad weren't that interested it was totally my interest that, that drove it. Um, and hopefully that that's what we'll see from him as well. And, and I think it just shows from small beginnings, having a few Brown laying hens can come some great things. And and that's what we're seeing with him. And, and actually he's hoping to breed some birds to show in the juvenile section at the national show at the end of the year. And I think that's fantastic. So yeah, all power to his elbow. Watch this space. Watch this space, absolutely. Um, and uh, independence, you know, we've got quite a few younger people that are coming up at their mum and dad show or their their grandparents show or whatever. I think the, the best junior fanciers are those that have the drive themselves to do well. So it's really nice to all be in it as a family together. But I've come across juniors before uh, and junior handlers who are actually not that bothered. They're there because mum and dad... Or grand and granddad have dragged them there, and you know they're not going to be in it for the long term because they haven't got the drive for themselves. So it's really important that that kids um, really want to do it in their own right. And and I've seen quite a few, quite a few young fanciers like that. That's been nice. Yeah, well, quite often the case you sort of tend to find a, um, you know,
1: you always get. An older fancier that's got, you know, a grandkid that they shove a chicken in a show for them. But really that that child hasn't got the foggiest of what's going on. Um as you say, it's those that have chosen to get involved that
0: and I guess, to be the ones. And I guess for us as well, we're coming at this from the direction of that is what we were like. You know, we were yeah. ones pushing that we wanted to breed and show and, and whatever. Um and and that's why, you know, that's why we're still here. That's why we're doing a podcast about poultry. It's why we go and <laughs> judge at poultry shows, it's why I edit a poultry magazine, it's why I think I get more enjoyment out of poultry related things than than anything else. Certainly not politics at the time, I can I can tell you that. Um and it's a, and it's and it's you know a a bit of relief as well if you've got a busy life uh, if you've got a lot going on whether it's personally or professionally or whatever i think having a hobby like this is a complete relief from all of that and really good for for our overall well-being so there you go that's why we do it um shall we go on to the q a yeah Yeah, definitely. Right
1: then, shall we do some questions?
0: Yeah, kick off. What's your first question? Or shall I kick off? I will kick off, please, (laughs) because I think Ollie's having some technical difficulties, which we have had literally for the whole time of uh, trying to record an episode this time around um so let's get cracking so i've got a question from alex if you had no limitations on space time etc what's the one breed you would keep if you could so i will go first um (laughs) <laughs> so for me, so I have, I've said previously that I would um, love to keep red saddled Yokohamas. Uh, again, I kept them some years ago, I still love them. Love Yokohamas as a breed in general, but I think I would uh, probably um, opt for those if I had no limitations on space, because you kind of, you do need a bit of space for a long tail breed uh like that um and to keep them in condition um the other breed i think i would have is uh toulouse geese so ollie you mentioned earlier you were sorting out breeding pens for toulouse i just love them yeah. and i think if i had the space and could have great big ponds to to ensure they bred properly and and all the rest of it and they had loads of space so they weren't dirty um then i think i'd probably keep those i think they'd probably be the two breeds that you know no limitations had all the money in the world that I needed and all the space in the world and uh, all the time in the world. um, uh, Probably none of that is ever going to happen at the same time, but uh, they are probably two of the breeds that I would, I would love to keep. How about you? I think um,
1: poultry wise, I would, um, I definitely consider keeping something along the lines of a coaching. I I love, I love them. But obviously, you know, if you want to keep them fit, tidy and looking good for a show, they need to be inside, you know, otherwise that foot feathering is just not going to be happening for a show. Um,
0: yeah, very so true. Yeah.
1: Likewise, do you know, I, I've been very tempted for many years, but I have enough reasons that it is. Um go Along the lines of some of the heavies, I'd be really tempted to go with the, you know, Good old ales free, or uh you know a nice uh, a, a nice ruon um i'd look at going with maybe uh, your apricots or your blues because you know everyone keeps uh, your standard ruons um but like you mentioned the the Toulouse obviously you know heavy ducks need proper water systems really because they're not something that you can just give a give a tap to and get them to pamper in and out because they're not the most agile of birds
0: they're really not no they're absolutely not cool okay um thank you so much for that question alex Um, what's your first question ollie
1: so i have a question here from jane what is a good diet to get poultry ready for breeding
0: Uh, Layers pellets. So I know it sounds really basic. um, But layers pellets literally bring your birds in to lay. Um, I think on top of that, making sure they've got loads of grit, making sure they've got oyster shell, um, making sure they've got a bit of conditioner. The main thing is you don't want them to be fat um, if you want Mm -hmm. them to be breeding. Um, so not actually loads of maize uh, and, and things like that, that, that are going to pile weight onto them um, and fitness as well, just general fitness and being out and about um, your breeding birds shouldn't be the same as your show birds at the same time. So, you know, having them out and about making sure they've got pr- plenty of uh, fresh air, et cetera, will make all the difference and add to a good diet, um, you know, greens as well, you know, is is really important. Um, uh, pea, I know, with ducks for instance, they really love peas. Um, a bit of mealworm just to give a bit of extra protein is, is always welcome. But you won't beat layers pellets. Good layers pellets from you know a decent source. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names on here, um, but there's plenty to choose from, and you know, do do a bit of research um but I, I find kind of much much of a muchness um between them often when it comes to layers pellets they all pretty much do the same thing yeah
1: um I think also I mean you know you could read a million books and you could be told a million different things on what to do with your birds to get the best out of egg uh, production and get them ready for um reading season I think top of what has already said um fresh water fresh water fresh water fresh water um myself i change my uh, birds drinking water every single day they've all got automatic drinkers um but every day they get wiped out water emptied and then obviously um being automatic they should be filled throughout the day um birds don't want to be drinking stale water yeah um certainly keep them fit Uh, um and Housing-wise, ventilation is one of the biggest. You know, keep keep it well ventilated. Keep all that badness out. Um, and it's just going to add to the fitness of the birds. Um, and feed-wise, I mean, nowadays there's hundreds and hundreds of different assortments of things that you can give to your chickens. But I think if you're if you really are wanting to breed for for the showing world, um, forget about all of them keep it simple and the main thing is whatever you do feed your birds keep it consistent you don't want to be changing the food constantly because it's really not going to do them any
0: justice whatsoever um Definitely. And also it impacts on like feather quality and stuff. um, uh, If you're changing food every five seconds. So um, cool. And that kind of actually leads on then to, we had a a question from someone called Sophie. Thank you for your question, Sophie. Um, What would be your top tip for someone starting out with chickens or ducks? So a lot of what we've just covered uh, in terms of housing, ventilation, uh, feeding, uh, making sure birds um, uh, are able to get out and about where, wherever possible, Um, is all good advice Uh, on top of that so please 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 do support uh, pure breeds traditional breeds of poultry Um, and to do that through the poultry club or uh, local uh, or or breed clubs across the country you can find out breeders uh, that have the particular variety or breed that you're looking for and you can get started with something that um, is is going to actually do the breed a favor In the long term, we're going to be breeding decent examples, even if you don't show them. Um, So, so yeah. So, by all means, start off with a few laying hens if that's what you want to do, just to test the water and see how you get on. Um, But, but uh, you know, I I really encourage you then to to move over to some pure breeds. Um, Like, they go to good reputable breeders. Probably best to go via the breed club or or the poultry club to make sure. That you're best able to do that um and be prepared ahead of that make sure you've got decent housing make sure you know where your food uh, provider is going to be um uh, i think actually doing the preparation in in advance is really important to to make sure that once you've got the birds, everything is as easy as possible for you that's that's part of it don't make it chore. Uh, make it make sure that it's um good fun
1: Uh, Yeah, very much. So um, I think as well, do your research. Um, Find out, be it duck or chicken, what breeds you like. Um, You know, is it a group, as in, you know, heavies, lights, bantams? Speak to a couple of people that you know maybe have those breeds. Um, Ultimately, you're not really probably going to fully know if you like them until you get them properly. I know when I first started out, I had various different breeds thinking, oh, you know, those pictures, they look amazing, they're so pretty, when actually, you know, they were the best of the kinds that were photographed because it resembled that breed, and actually, it's hard to produce something. Um, so I was sort of put off at a young age thinking, oh, well, mine doesn't look like that. Um And um, not every chicken is a good layer, so if you're wanting, obviously chickens to get eggs every day make sure that you do your research around that don't get something um, like an open turn and sort of be a bit set back thinking oh okay why am i getting eggs seven days a week because that really isn't going to happen um and obviously um i think just be prepared for um all the nasties really that are involved in keeping chickens like uh, rodents and um other general pests, parasites and things that would be involved in general, um, chicken husbandry within the house and actually on the birds. Um, all these things sort of come with learning along the way. Um, but I And there's
0: there's so much advice and help and, you know, articles out there on all, all of this stuff, um, advice on social media, loads of Facebook groups, for instance, um, where people are very happy to, to provide Help and advice as well so yeah do your research decide what you want um and then once you've decided the direction you're going in try and get the best birds that you can from reputable breeders um and then hopefully you know we might even see you at the shows you know in in the coming years be great
1: yeah
0: cool um anything a- another question from you Ollie? Um, so i have a question it's quite a big question um
1: from a guy called luke um so it says my geese have started fighting i sold four geese and told that they were three girls and a boy boy was the bigger white one and the girls were smaller with some mottled gray literally the last week the two gray and white are fighting they lock necks and beaks and beat the other one with the wings until one gives up. Are they boys would all three fight in this way if this was the case?
0: God, what a question. Um, what a- I, the easiest way is to just vent sex them. And if you don't know how to do that, try and find someone locally who, who will know. Basically, you tip them upside down and squeeze in a certain area but definitely look yeah. it up uh, and and find out how how to do that properly um i mean there's a, um, i can't
1: remember what it's called but there is a company in the uk that you can actually send feathers off to that will feather sex your ads um it's not that expensive i think it's just a couple of like literally a couple of pounds is it reliable
0: Put um, in. is it
1: reliable as far as i believe yes um a few people that have done it, and it's turned out to be almost 100%. Um, but by the sounds of it, your female geese wouldn't fight like that. It sounds like you've got three males that are competing for that one goose. Um, all, all I would suggest is if you've got a pond or whatever their water situation is for them to in spend a little time, sort of hide yourself a little bit and watch, particularly when they've got fresh water, that's normally my waterfowl will then, um, especially if it's a situation where you have to empty or clean the water, you know, once or twice a day, physically. The birds are more likely to mate then than what they will on dirty water. Um, spend a little time and watch them, as awful as that sounds. But um, <laughs> um, And you'll basically be able to see their body language and determine, right, okay, that's the female and they are actually trying to mate her, but in the process having a fight. Um, Otherwise, I would maybe suggest uploading some pictures and some videos from some of the uh, geese and waterfowl groups and and let some of the um, more experienced breeders and keepers uh try and help you that's yeah i mean it's,
0: right. it's a really difficult call geese are difficult to to sex uh, often and mm-hmm. um, particularly if they're kind of standard commercial um breeds uh varieties and um it does sound behavior wise it, it does sound like like you've probably got more gandhi's i actually remember first geese i ever had were chinese and i was so excited we got three uh, we got four. And they just all came together, and there's this little goose uh, who kind of was a bit of a runt, to be honest. But I loved her, and I actually used to like give her cuddles and stuff when I was I was really young. <laughs> I used to adore her. Um, and then there were these three ganders, and two of them had yellow knobs. Which, uh, if you don't know Chinese geese, um, the knob is is basically a round. Uh, what would you call it? Piece of like flesh. Well, it's like um yeah a fleshy cartilage
1: sort of mass above the,
0: the above bit. the beak uh, on the head um and yeah, they're meant to be black basically and, and two of them had yellow so my dad decided to get rid of those two so i think that we ate those um and then we had this pair left and the gander was called jim um and he was spiteful as chinese geese actually really can be and um again we didn't know when we got the four of them we didn't realize there were three ganders and just one goose obviously we worked that out pretty quickly um he gave me some bruises over the years and then when the goose sadly died i think she might have even been eaten by a fox i think i remember finding that out and crying my eyes out absolutely crying my eyes out uh, when i found out but jim lived on because he was so vicious and such a bully he then paired himself to my mum. So when my mum used to be down in the stables, Jim used to stand by her, and if we as kids used to go anywhere near her, he would put his neck down and absolutely come for us. um So a little. I think you trained him on purpose. My mum probably did to keep us kids away, stop us yeah, annoying. Give her. her a bit of um, peace of mind. Yeah, a little goose anecdote there. Um, Cool. Uh, Thank you for that question. I hope that's helpful. Um, uh, Let's see. What else have we got here? Uh, Jamie, uh, Federation or National? Question mark. And what would be your favourite show overall? So Ollie can't uh, answer this question because he's been to neither. And do you know what? I'm not sure I really have a favourite. I love the national show. It was the first big big show i ever went to um but i also think that the federation has a an absolute charm about it and i don't think i have a favorite i love both i think they're great in their own way and uh i'm one of those people that goes to both and i will go to both at the end of this year if i can um uh and there's a lot of politics around it and i think that's just ridiculous like you either enjoy going to Big Pulp show, you don't. And that's the bottom line, really. Um, don't look into yeah. it any more than that. And then uh, a favourite show overall. Um, that's a really difficult one. Uh, probably those two. I think you see the most people at those two shows. And I, like I said, I love a weekend show because you have a bit more time. We also have that Friday and Saturday evening when you get to just, Chat to everyone and catch up with them, and uh, I I love that, absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, I think the bigger shows, those Scottish National, hopefully if, if and when that comes back, uh, the Welsh National again, that's a weekend show. Uh, I love that Welsh Federation. When I used to go to that, I used to used to love doing that. Reading Bantam Show that we mentioned earlier, love that again, a weekend away where where you get to chat chat and catch up with everyone. Love, love, love them. Can't wait for them to come back. Have missed them massively. I know, sorry, I've totally dodged a question in every, every way, but what can I say? I'm a politician at heart, so not that surprising. Uh, Ollie, what's That's your favorite question? Favorite? Um, like Reading, don't I you? would
1: say, yeah, I would say uh, from the shows that I've been to, um, Reading was probably one of the first big shows that i went to with the lovely fred simmons um and um from the first time he took me i then continued to go um yeah. and yeah it's a really nice show um obviously slightly uh, unique to others that it is only a bantam show um but you still get to meet loads of people you know most people these days yeah. tend to keep yeah bantams or 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 large fell um and large fell sorry um so you always see you know a lot of the regular faces um and I typically quite enjoy going there because a lot of the people that I see there are the faces that I sort of grew to know when I was at uni down south um so it's sort of when I was going felt like it was a familiar scene for me and it is in a lovely setting as well so yeah I would probably say that's my my favorite so far cool nice right we got another question yes so I have a question here from Peter I'm hoping to attend my first show what advice would you give to me and others like me
0: oh well good luck with that that's very exciting and um uh prepare your bears really well so condition preparation really important we spoke about it earlier with judging and it's not actually all about feather quality so i am you know pretty picky on feather quality but it's also about how a bird handles so for me if a bird doesn't feel good in the hand i.e uh say its breastbone is a bit too prominent um uh because it's been overshown or just needs a bit of rest or whatever Uh, then I would put a bird with with a tiny bit of um, uh, feather uh, uh, damage over a a bird like that if if they were both perfect in every other way. Um, So, yeah, feather quality is important, but making sure birds are fit uh, is really important too. The way you do that is decent diet, um, uh, but also, as we said earlier, make sure they've got uh, plenty of fresh air, ventilation, um they're getting exercise, so even if they're in a small lift space, having a perch is really good because they'll jump up and down all the time and and mm-hmm. um birds and, and birds that are fit will kind of be pretty jaunty anyway uh so that's important make sure you wash them before a show really important um not so much for hard feather I guess but still making sure if you've got hard feather that they are clean uh soft feather absolutely imperative that you wash them otherwise they will not uh shine up in in the same way uh making sure how you transport them to a show they have plenty of space in their carrier they're not going to mess themselves up on on the way there um, and a bit of pen training as well, making sure that they are used to being in a show pen. And it's not the first time they're ever there because let me tell you, they will not show themselves off well. Um, and you can buy you know, a double set of show pens for like 60 quid and just whack them up and, and uh, really good practice. Um, and also, I used to love that because one of my favourite things actually was pen training my birds, spending time with them in the evenings after work. Um, and they just get used to you. They get used to the atmosphere of, of um, what a show will be like. Anything else, Ollie? All
1: um, well, I would say is at the end of the day, those birds are, are at a show representing you as an exhibitionist. You are representing them as your, your Exhibi-
0: stock. exhibitionist. Uh, <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> Well, I'm that's a different back. story ignore me, ignore me. <laughs> um,
1: I, I said that and I was like nope 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 we're not going down that route anyway um, be proud of what you're putting in a show don't take a bird that against the others you know it's dirty or ill or you know just lacking condition white in the face be proud of what you're putting in um put the effort in you know go like jed said go to the effort of pen training that purely for not just for your sake but for the judges sake. a judge does not want to be having to rugby tackle a bird out of the cage because it's freaking out you know it's not nice for the judge it's not nice for the bird yeah uh, you know and i suppose you know you, you would argue that on welfare grounds, really, you know, do the best you can to condition that bird ready for the environment you're it in. Um, and uh, yeah, like Jed said, you know, turn your bird out, wash it, make sure you know nails are nice and clean. You've got lovely, clean legs, um, and there's lots of other little tips and hints that we can maybe discuss in another podcast about show birds and preparation. Um, yeah i think we
0: that. that's question. good cool yeah i think we'll we'll do a, a section on that at some point uh, we could try and do some uh, photos and and stuff to to try and demonstrate yeah. uh, that too and then i think last question is from ryan so it's quite a big question um has the break because of bird flu resulted in a reduction in quality of birds that shows Has the break from bird flu resulted in judges being less sharp and missing obvious faults in winning exhibits? And do you think the fancy will ever return to where it was prior to the pandemic slash avian influenza? Uh, So uh, I'll try and kind of recap on them quickly. So in terms of um, a reduction in quality of birds at shows, Um, I don't think so. uh, For every breed, I think there's uh, at least a few breeders out there who have maintained their stock and are absolutely committed to breeding them to the same standard and have kept the standard high. And I think we'll see evidence of that when we come back to shows properly. Um, In terms of judges being less sharp and missing obvious faults, I know certainly for me, I actually read through the standards book a bit um and tried to remind myself not judged at a show for a while um but it all comes back to you you know I always think if you haven't ridden a bike in a while uh you get on a bike you very quickly remember what you've got to do same with driving all comes flooding back to you um same with judging you know you very quickly remember I remembered for instance with the Oxford game uh that you hold them a different way and if I hadn't done that I think someone would have uh very quickly told me so um uh, so it does come back to you really quickly. And uh, I think judges are in a mind that they think about this stuff, even when they're not doing it, to be honest. Um, uh, so I think judges are as sharp as they ha- have always been. And and are hopefully still pick up on on those obvious um, faults. And then when it comes to will the fancy come back? Well, I think that's down to people like you, me ollie and everyone else ryan and i think it's up to us to make sure we're supporting not just the big shows but the local clubs as well and our breed clubs uh providing breed clubs with content for newsletters and uh, on social media making sure we're promoting what we're doing breeding showing etc part of the reason we're doing this podcast is to promote our love of poultry not just the showing of it but breeding birds uh pure breeze of poultry and and all the rest of it um and to encourage more people into it in in the longer term and i think if we all take that view then it will bounce back and it will take time Um, you know it's been out for for some years but the poultry hobby has been in this situation before uh, and it has bounced back and um, i'm kind of in no doubt that it will do so again certainly i'm always looking at it from that kind of glass half full perspective uh how about you, Ollie?
1: I think you you've answered that uh, quite loaded question uh, very well.
0: Um, I don't mind a loaded question. I think, I think it's a, a really important topic to, to talk about. Um, no, and it's actually a um,
1: a very good question, broken down to three points. I'm going to jump onto the latter part of that um, question about uh, regards to will the fancy return back to what it was. Um, that's kind of a question that needs to be thrown back at people who take part. It's only going to um, get back to where it was. If everyone continues to do what they were doing before, Um, it's not going to happen by a miracle. Um, It very much is only going to happen by everyone
0: Pulling together, bustling
1: in really, and uh, yeah. doing what they were doing. So, um,
0: absolutely, yeah. It's kind you know what. Answers, um, uh, is- I'm so I'm honestly so looking forward to the end of this year and hopefully getting to some of the big poultry shows and seeing our poultry family coming back together. And for anyone listening to this yeah. who you know you know you're just getting started or you only have a few birds at home um if you fancy making the journey to see a a really you know fun big event uh involving poultry then i'd really encourage you to to either come to the national come to the federation of poultry clubs um uh at the end of this year and see all the different breeds on offer and i can promise you that you will be inspired um and you'll no doubt meet some new friends along the way we are a really friendly bunch and um you know and we're going to be so buzzed to be back as well so um so yeah i think that's probably it for for this episode um thank you so much to everyone for listening um and yeah we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with the next episode and um yeah i I think that's it from me i think ollie I think that was quite a good time because I think Oli has literally just lost connection. Um, so uh, I will say goodbye from both of us uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Please do, ha- wherever you listen to... I this- think I'm still here. Oh, you're still there? Sorry. <laughs> um, please do give us a five-star review wherever you listen yes, I think well- so. to your podcast.